Forgive us our sins and blot out from us our iniquities. Our Lord, grant us what Thou promised us. Thou didst not fail in Thy promise. You Americans, you think I am confined because of what I wear? I am not confined, I am liberated. When people speak to me, they speak to my eyes. I am not a slave to fashion or luxurious living. I am free to serve my God without distraction. I have disciplined myself to use few words, and I serve those who are in authority over me. When I die, I will give an account of my actions before God. My righteousness today is a small price to pay for salvation to come. I am blessed to be as I am a woman to live out the words of Muhammad 
peace be on his name. And whatever things you have been given are but the provision of this world's life, and that which is with God is better. Have you then no understanding? You will not attain righteousness until you spend out of that which you love. And whatever you spend from your possessions, indeed God is aware of it. The goal of life is dead. Zionist, you are the target in my eyes. I will be a martyr. You will die with me. Your death will bring me honor. Yes, my son. He is my son. He is my honor. He is a hero of the faith. He is an example for all who follow Islam. I will be honored by his death. I would hope that all of my children die as martyrs. God willing, they will all give their lives for Islam, taking part in jihad, finding great reward with God. The goal of life is death. I am marching towards my death. The blood is boiling in my veins. I am ready for jihad. I am ready to die. Allah Akbar! Allah Akbar! Allah Akbar! We want mothers who will teach us sons jihad. We want fathers who will teach us sons jihad. What is it you are teaching your children? Your children will become as you are. Cowards. What they believe will fall from them like the sand that they play in. You teach them nothing. I will replace the toys in my children's hands with weapons. I will teach my children the ways of Muhammad. Peace beyond his name. Every soul shall have a taste of death, and every soul will be paid full of its deeds. And he knows best all that they do. And only on the day of judgment shall you be paid your full recompense. He is God, the one, the self-sufficient. There is none like him. This life is not my final goal. It is salvation of the life to come. Your only concern is this life and your possessions. I and my family, we concentrate on our good works so we may be closer to God. Life is either eternally in heaven with God or forever damnation in hell. I will live my life righteously. You and I, we are not so different. You are Christian. You believe Jesus, yes. I believe Jesus. You believe God, yes. I believe God. Everything, everything that I do shows my faith in Allah and his messenger, Muhammad. Peace be on his name. My heart is continually on God. My eyes always look to him. I must pray five times a day, five times every day, to keep my mind focused on my Creator and His greatness. I benefit from all He allows me to have in this life, but death is certain, and my submission must be to Him. How can I carry out the goals of my life each day if my heart is not continually on Allah? I wake my body early in the morning when it wants to sleep so that I might pray. I pray when my body wants to eat. 
I pray at all intervals of the day. How can I achieve righteousness before God when I only pray one time a day or one time a week? I will praise my God and I will live out the teachings of Muhammad. Peace beyond his name. In the houses which God is exalted and in which his name is remembered, there are people who glorify him at morning and evening. Men who neither merchandise nor trade takes away from the remembrance of God and constancy of prayer and payment to the poor. For God remembers and provides for those who he wills without measure. If Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, I will be obedient and sacrifice my son for the sake of Islam. Those of you who do not know what you believe, you are callous. Your hearts are cold. You speak with your tongue, but you have no heart. You follow nothing. You talk too much and you follow nothing. We will cause you to question what you believe. You will cry out and no God will answer you. To not die for my faith is shameful. I will give my life. Give me a gun. Give me a bomb. Or give me a rock. I shall use them as a weapon against the infidel. To truly love Allah, you must sacrifice for the sake of Islam. You say you are a Christian. You believe Jesus. And yet, what do you sacrifice? You sacrifice nothing for what you believe. You are weak. You are cowards. The book will be placed before you, and you will see the sinful and great terror because of what is recorded. They will say, ah, woe to us. What is this book? It leaves out nothing small or great. They will find all that they did placed before them. On the day of judgment, we shall bring out from him a scroll, which he will see spread open, and it will be said to him, Read your own record. My name is Aslan. I'm from Turkey. I am Muslim. La ilaha illa Muhammadur Rasul Allah. My name is Monifa. I am Egyptian. I am Muslim. La ilaha. La ilaha Allah, Muhammadur Rasul Allah. I am Tariq Hamad. I am Hussam Hamad. We are Palestinian. We are Muslim. La ilaha illa Allah, Muhammadur Rasul Allah. Then those whose balance of good deeds is heavy, they will attain salvation. But those whose balance is light will be those who have lost their souls. In hell they will abide. I believe every word that I have read is true. It is from God's holy book, the Quran, the foundation of all Islam. I am Jennifer Owen. I am from Colorado. I am Muslim. La ilaha illa Allah, Muhammadu Rasul Allah. There is no deity except God, Muhammad is the messenger of God. Peace beyond his name. In 1993, 
I enrolled in seminary and was given a class because I was under a new catalog, and that catalog said that I had to take a class called Introduction to Islam. To be honest with you, it was probably the class that I dreaded the most because I didn't care about Islam. I didn't care about Muslims. It meant nothing to me. It was not on my radar of having any high value. And I took the class. I passed the class, and, and, and I moved on. Got the, been there, got a T-shirt, and moved on. But everybody in our country, it seems that, at least most people in our country, I should say, had a rude awakening on September the 11th. Whenever all of a sudden Islam came to America in a very violent way, and all of a sudden what was irrelevant was now relevant. All of a sudden what was unimportant and insignificant and just another world religion was now vitally important to the whole scheme of things. And for many people in their mind, it immediately was branded Islam equals death and jihad. At that point, America began to formulate its ideas and its opinions about this religious belief. And some of it, obviously, as we can see in the world, is absolutely true. Up until the time of, uh, of 9-11, I'm afraid Hollywood didn't have any, way, didn't have any uh, good enemies. I mean, the Cold War was over. Think about it. Up until that point, it was Eastern Bloc nations that were the bad guys in the movies. And then there was a time period from the 80s and the 90s that really there was no real good bad guy. They had a hard time coming up with a bad guy in the movies. But then September 11th now paved for our country the new bad guy, that Arab Muslim individual who is out there, who's out there to kill us. Now, I'll be honest in confession today is that whenever somebody mentions Muslim to me, there is a jump, a skip in my heart, and almost a one-a-step back away from them. Afraid they're going to bomb me? I don't know what it is. But I just don't want to be around them. That is my initial gut feeling when somebody says that to me. And so movies such as The Kingdom have been created, and and as, as you look at... Uh, uh, the movie, maybe you've seen it, and again, I'm, I should put this caveat on last week's message and all of them. Listen, you as a parent decide whether or not you're going to watch it. You as a parent decide whether or not you're going to let your children watch it. That's a decision for you. But one of the things that I got, that redeeming element that I got out of the kingdom when I watched that, was there is great tension, not just in America because of a war over oil, but there's a war in the faith. And there's a very stark difference in the faith. And many of our perceptions of Islam is that simple pulling of the hand grenade and blowing ourselves up. The perception is that we blow ourselves up for our faith. And our perception is, is that from that we train our children. I don't know where you are, but that makes me very uncomfortable. And I don't know how you were when you came in today, but I was very uncomfortable just hearing the Islamic prayer. And actually it was very intentional. It was very intentional for you to feel uncomfortable because you know what? There's a whole lot of people in this world that are believing this faith. And I, the, most, the time I was, I guess, most encountered it was just recently whenever we were in Mali. And the very first day waking up in Mali, I woke up not to the sounds of birds or anything like that, but I woke up to the call of prayer. I woke up to Muslims going to pray at 5 and 5.30 in the morning when I was still as a Christian sleeping. Their call to prayer was a, woke me up and called me to pray and to begin to pray. And to begin to pray for this world that is so much becoming more and more entrenched in this Islamic faith. Islam 
is actually growing at a faster rate in America than Christianity. 1.81% uh, of growth in Islam and 1.23% uh, of growth in Christianity. Seventy years ago, Islam, there was no Islamic mosque in the United States. Today, there are 1,500. There are five new mosques built every month, and there are over 400 Muslim schools. Worldwide, globally speaking, more, there are 400 Muslim, excuse me, there are 12% um, growth with what was a few years ago, but now it's 21% growth in Islam. All of this to say, as Americans, we need to wake up. Because I don't know if you work in Walmart ISD or you work somewhere else, but you will begin to see in our culture more and more Muslims. It's growing. But what are you going to do? Are you going to be like me, step back, move back? We saw in this skit here, there's different flavors and sizes and shapes of them. And the interesting thing is, is that me, myself as a missionary, and I really have a missionary slant to just about everything that I do, just like I woke up in, in, in Mali and to the call to prayer, to pray to, uh, uh, to Allah, there was, there's something inside of me that says, how in the world can I penetrate this? With what I believe in Jesus Christ being the true God, how can I get into this? How can I make a difference in these people's lives that are striving if it... If it requires killing myself, if it requires praying five times a day or whatever the stipulations are, how can I make a difference in that kind of culture? And so I really today in preparing this message, it's been actually a pretty difficult message to prepare, knowing that all of the, the precursor that would be going into this. But I have to ask, how can I penetrate, how can I make a difference in this culture? And so really what I wanted to do today is I just kind of have written out a, a, a kind of a script. To, if I was talking with a, a Muslim, as I had opportunity in our last trip to, to Mali, if I was talking with them, trying to persuade them in the faith, how would I do that? Because there, the great thing is, is that there are Muslims coming to faith in Jesus. There are. In fact, Fuller Theological Seminary just did a study. Of, of, of all believers, of 750 believers from 30 different nations and 50 different ethnic groups, from nine, if they became a follower of Christ from 1991 to year 2007, they asked them a very simple question. What was it that convinced you to become a follower of Jesus? Very interesting study. You can look at it. I read it out of Christianity Today. You can find it on the, online. But here's the number one reason that a Muslim will become a follower of Jesus is they said the life of a Christian. They said they lived an authentic, real faith. And I have said this, if I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times, that the best argument for Christianity and the best argument against Christianity is the life of a Christian. And what Muslims have said is they said, I have looked into the life of a Christian and I see authenticity. I see realness. I see genuineness. Now I have to ask myself the question, am I one of those? Or am I just a card-carrying, baptized follower of Christ? Or is it really permeating my life? The second reason that many of them came to know Christ is because of Christian marriages. They said because in a Christian marriage, all people are considered equal and not that way in Islamic marriages. Other reasons that they became, there were like seven or eight different reasons, but another one that stood out is because they experienced or had seen personally the power of Christ in somebody else's life. 
either through a healing or through a vision or through something like that, some awesome experience, supernatural, that they couldn't define. So just think about it here for just a moment. How do you prepare yourself to engage with an unbelieving Muslim? Okay, how do you do that? One, make sure your life's right. Make sure you're living the way, kind of life you should be living. Two, think about that study. Also, I need to make sure my marriage represents the marriage that Christ models for us. And am I ready in my spiritual life to see God do supernatural things in me and through me? Am I really at that point in my life? Think about that as we think about how we can reach out to them. Now, here's, here's just some pointers for you. You can jot them down. There will be spaces in your notes. Anytime I'm engaging anybody, again, I'm just, I, I wish I had a Starbucks and we were just sitting across the table from each other and we could just really talk this out. But I've got a big room here, and so it's kind of hard. But if I was talking with you and I was coaching you on how to share your faith with anybody on this point, but especially with a Muslim, here's some pointers that I, I think that, that I would give you. One is, is find that common ground. You've got to find the common ground in the whole thing. And, and there are certain things about this common ground. The first thing is that we have a faith to be lived. Okay, now why is it important to find a common ground? It's important to find a common ground because it... it takes it disarms them if you come before them and just hammer them you know what they're going to get defensive find common ground find something in there it, it disarms them it levels the playing field it goes from a debate it moves it from a debate to a dialogue okay learn of their faith while you're learning uh, while you're sharing your faith all right so get into a dialogue find common ground and one of those common elements that we have about both our faces, that we have a faith to be lived. They obviously live their faith. They're willing to live and die for their faith. But one of the very things that, that we should, as, as believers and followers of Christ, is if we are really followers of Christ, let's act like it. Let's live like it. Let's have the attitude like it. Let's have the words that match it. Let's have the marriages that line up with it. Let's really make sure that we are living out our faith so that we can point to our lives and say, just as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Can we really say that to those around us? So find that common ground. The first thing is that we have a faith to be lived. The second thing is that we both have a holy book. Now, they have a holy book, the Quran. We have a holy book, the Bible. The books are different. But we both have holy books and talk about it. That, hey, I would like to read from your holy book. Would you like to read from my holy book? Because the great thing about the Quran is the Quran actually tells them that they should read from the Gospels. Well, guess what, my friend? You now have the open door. Now you have the key to get in to begin to share with them from the Bible. Uh, it was George... Um, just lost the professor's name. I read it this past week. But, um, his first name is George. Or his last name is George. Timothy George. That's his last name. Uh, Timothy George. Uh, anyway. Uh, all right. So he actually said that the great debate in Islam is not between Muhammad and, and, and Christ, but it's between Christ and the Quran. Because this book right here, well, we might just throw it around and put it on the bookshelf and not ever pick it up. This right here is the most holy book imaginable. I mean, you don't mark in it, you don't do anything in it. So whenever you are able to take their holy book and now to open their holy book and look and show them that it tells them that they should be reading from the Gospels, then now you have an open door to be able to read from the Gospels with them. All right? So talk about the holy books. You have a holy book, they have a holy book. The third thing 
Common ground. Again, we're just establishing common ground. We have a salvation to be attained. All right? We all have a salvation. They have a salvation. They, they want to go to paradise. All right? Interesting thing about their paradise. You ever think about it? What do you get if you die in jihad, as, if you're a man? Somebody tell me. Huh? I'm a virgins. Virgins. I heard virgins. All right? Like 70 virgins or something like that. The women get wine, all the wine they can drink and all that. Not a lot to say in the, in the, in the Quran about, I guess they had to take, drink the wine to deal with their polygamous husband. But uh, the, there's not a lot to promise an Islamic woman, okay, in Scripture. Okay, there's not a whole lot. But it's interesting to think that their idea of heaven is, are the, is the very things that they can't do here on earth. Okay, they can't be, I mean, they, they, they can't have all these relationships but at the same time, when they go to heaven, they can't. They can't drink wine here on earth, but when they go to heaven, they can't. And so the idea is that it's unholy here, but it's holy there. It's really, a, it's a dichotomy, okay? It doesn't go together. But anyway, so you're sitting here, and you're talking about their salvation, and they tell you what it takes to get to heaven. Well, they'll tell you there's five things, and, they, and I won't go through them for the sake of time. They, they shared them up here. When you've got to do this, you've got to do this. You've got five different things that you've got to do. And in the end of all of that, if you do it all, you travel to Mecca, you give your money, and you pray five times a day, you know what? You still have no guarantee. Everything in the Islamic faith to get to heaven is based on what you do. Everything in the Christian faith in getting to heaven is based on what Christ did. Big difference. Everything you do, everything Christ did. See, I am basing everything upon my faith, upon what He has done for me on the cross, and I am depending everything upon that. Okay? It, theirs is about doing, ours is about being. Theirs is about rules, ours is about a relationship. Big difference. When we want to enter into a relationship with God, we have that relationship with God through, through Jesus Christ. They hope to have a relationship with Allah someday. And they're going to pray and work hard and do everything they can to do to get there hopefully someday. And we'll talk a whole lot more about that in a little bit. Cal Thomas made a statement that was pretty bold, but I think it's pretty clear. It says, Islam is a religion in which God requires you to send your sons to die for Him. Christianity is a faith in which God sent His Son to die for us. Big difference. Big difference. The third, fourth common ground. And this is where you start having a launching pad. Fourth common ground is that there's the virgin birth of Jesus. They believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. That is now your platform to launch into a discussion with them that you can now start engaging them as they talk about the virgin birth of Christ, and you talk about the virgin birth of Christ, and you read it from the Koran, and, and they read it from uh, the Bible, and you're reading it together. And then I'll say this, that not everything that they, they, they line up with in, in the Koran about Jesus, because the Koran does speak of Jesus, uh, as I've said, uh, is, is accurate, okay? It does not line up with Scripture. But what you do is you focus on what does. Don't, don't get into the debate on, on, on the other right now. That will come later on. But right now, just, you're just getting an ear. You're just getting into their heart and hopefully being able to engage them a little bit further. Because one of the first things that they're going to want to talk to you about is the Trinity. In fact, if you don't bring up the Trinity, they're going to bring up the Trinity. And so just kind of get ready for that. And, uh, and I, I, for the sake of time, again, this was an entire course in seminary and this is a lot of, there's no way in one 30-minute segment I can give, you, give it all to you. So this summer I'm going to be sharing a, a series of messages uh, 
uh, called Get Wet, and it's the idea of uh, getting just drenched and covered with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and the Trinity and all that this summer, okay? So hang on to that and hang on to that thought. Right now, I want us to focus on how do I get them to begin to understand that Jesus is not just another prophet? How do I get to that point with them? Well, take your Bibles and look at the book of John. John's a good place to begin. John chapter 1. I'm going to read just the first five verses. Because this will begin to lay that platform. If, you, if they say, well, how do you know Jesus is God and that Jesus didn't just begin like Muhammad began, you know, many, many years ago, 2,000 years ago. And this proves to you that Jesus has always existed. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and, uh, excuse me, uh, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, Word, what's this Word idea? He's metaphorically speaking of Jesus here, and you can clearly see that as you read on into the text. So let me read it differently. This time I'm going to read and insert the word Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. All right, so it's beginning from the very beginning of John, it's establishing the deity of Christ. Let's keep reading on in verse 2. And he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Jesus didn't just kind of sit on the sidelines. He was actually instrumental in the beginning and the creation of the world. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So Jesus has his fingerprint on you and on me and on all of us. On the whole birth process, he's got it all there. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus was the light. He came to this earth to give life. I don't know about you, but when the old call to prayer in the beginning and the countdown and all that kind of stuff, it was a little bit eerie feeling and having people up here in a Christian church bowing down and praying, and what are we doing? And, uh, you know, this church has gone to hell in the handbasket and all that kind of stuff going on in my head. But then I loved it when the, began, the band began to sing about the king and how the, and almost like the light ushered into this room. Again, it's an eerie feeling, it's a hard feeling, it's an uncomfortable feeling, and I want you to be uncomfortable because there's a whole lot of people that are believing this today. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This world does not comprehend Jesus. Islam, Muslims do not comprehend Jesus. How is it that we can, from the Quran and from Scripture, how is it that we can share our faith about who Jesus is? I want to give you three very important things, concepts that you need to lock in on, zero in on, that if you're, as you share, these are the differences, okay? We've talked about the common ground. As you get to know them and you share with them, this is a training session today. As you share with them, here are three things that you can use in your sharing. One thing is Jesus is holy, Muhammad is not. Jesus is holy, Muhammad is not. To be holy means to be set apart, to be perfect, to be without sin. The only person who's perfect is the person who doesn't have the seed of man giving birth to him, all right? Remember I said that there was the virgin birth of Christ? Why is that so important? Because if the seed of man had passed through and had created this child, this child wouldn't have been Jesus. That's why the virgin birth is absolutely, vitally important to the whole process of having a Savior in name Jesus. Where do you get that? Well, in the book of Romans... 
The book of Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it talks about how sin is passed down from one generation to the next. It is just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. What is now, if I am, we're passing down the sin, almost genetically, if we're passing down sin to, our, to the next generation, the next generation, how, is there a holy alternative out there? Is there some way that I can connect with God? Because if I'm, if I'm unholy and, and my parents were unholy, my grandparents were unholy, how is it that I can connect with God? Because God's holy. There's not a Muslim or there's not a, there's not a Christian who's really a Christian who will deny that God is holy and perfect and blameless. So how is it that I can connect? There has to be a holy alternative out there. Well, Jesus steps on the scene. He is sinless. There is no sin in him. He does not know sin because sin is passed down. And Muslims will agree with that, 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 uh, that, that Jesus was virgin born. I want to read to you from the Koran now. Koran has uh, 140-something chapters in it. And in chapter 3 is probably the one that deals most of all with Jesus. So just jot this down. If you're ever dealing with a Muslim, then you'll have this. Uh, available. You can take their Quran, let them give you their Quran, and you read this passage of Scripture. Quran, uh, Shura is what they call their chapters. The Shura chapter 3, verse uh, 45 to 47 says, And remember when the angel said, O Mary, lo, Allah giveth thee glad tidings of, uh, of a word from him whose name is the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary. She said, My Lord, how can I have a child when no mortal hath touched me? He said, no, so, uh, so Allah createth what He will. He decreeth a thing, and he, say, and he saith unto it only, Be, and it is. Now, it sounds like reading the King James Version. All right? But basically what He's saying there from the Quran is that, 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 that there was a miraculous birth. And you know what? The Quran never says that about Muhammad. It never says that, that Muhammad was virgin born. It says Jesus was virgin born. So already now, again, the problem, the, the debate is, is, is Jesus just a prophet, just like Muhammad? And, and Muhammad's only the last prophet in, in the line of many prophets, Moses and Elijah and all that? Or is there actually something that, that elevates Jesus a little higher? And I say there is. I say Jesus is holy and Muhammad is not. And what makes him holy is he was virgin born. What, what keeps him holy, I should say, that he was already holy before. Here's the second bit of information to help you share your faith with a Muslim. Jesus can do the impossible, but Muhammad cannot. Jesus can do the impossible. Jesus is holy, but Jesus also can do many, many miracles. The Quran says, even identifies that Jesus was a, a miracle man. It says in, uh, in the Shura chapter 3, verse 49. Now, I'll promise you this. You're not going to go to any other church in Northwest Arkansas and have read from the Quran today, all right? But you understand where I'm going with this. I have fashioned for you out of clay in the likeness of a bird by Allah's leave. I heal him who was born blind. This is what Jesus does. He heals people born blind and a leopard, and I raise the dead. Very key point. Because Muhammad never did that. Muhammad never had control over life and death. Muhammad was never ever to step into somebody's life and to make them live again after they were dead. But there are three different times in Scripture that Jesus was able to 
to heal people. There are actually 36 times Jesus performs a miracle, but the first time that he raised somebody from the dead was he raised a widow's son. The child, they were in a funeral procession, and they were taking this little son to the, to the, to the grave, to the cemetery. But in, it says in Luke chapter 7, verse 14, that Jesus made the son live again. Muhammad never did that. Jesus can do the impossible, but Muhammad cannot. Jesus also raised uh, Jairus, Jairus' daughter. Jairus' daughter was lying there sick, it was dead in, 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 in the bed, and Jesus reaches down and he grabs her by the hand and he raises her up and lives again. Now that is one technique I've never seen a doctor. I've seen mouth to mouth, I've seen all that kind of stuff to resuscitate somebody, but Jesus grabs her hand, lifts her up, and she was once dead, and now she is alive. Muhammad cannot do that, but Jesus can See, Muhammad is not all-powerful, but we are learning that Jesus is. Again, he also, it says in John chapter 11, verse 43 and 44, probably the most famous resurrection story that Jesus did. I mean, he, obviously his is the most, most famous. How is, how is a person able to rise up from the dead uh, whenever you've been dead for three days? But Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave himself. But probably another story is, is the Lazarus story. The man's been in the grave for four days. He stinks. His body's decomposing. He's wrapped up like a mummy. And Jesus says, take that stone away. He says, Lazarus, rise up and walk. He says that he yelled it. Now, I don't know if that means his spirit was so far away he had to yell it to come back. But he, he yelled and Lazarus was awake again. Jesus has power that Muhammad does not. Now, if this does anything for you today, hopefully it equips you one. But hopefully number two, it, it elevates Jesus in your life. I hope, I hope today that you realize that I don't care if you're lame and sick and blind and deaf and dumb and dead. Jesus has power in your life if you are a follower of Him. If you're a follower of Him, you're following a holy God. If you're a follower of Him, you're following the One who from the very beginning created it all, was with God and was God and is God still today. The third thing that you need to know as you talk to a Muslim is Jesus knows the way to heaven that Muhammad does not. Very important. Very important. Jesus knows the way to heaven, but Muhammad does not. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, For Christ also died for sins once and for all. Listen to this. The just, he's the just one, for the unjust, Mike McDaniel out of me right there in parentheses, and your name right beside mine, so that what? He might bring us to who? God. Say it again. That He might bring us to who? He knows how to connect us with God and Muhammad does not. He came to bring the, the unjust, you and I, the unjust, that He might bring us and connect us with God. There is one mediator, it's not in your verse, but one, not in your script, but one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, Paul told Timothy. There's one, not two, not Muhammad, not anybody else. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The problem in this world of pluralism, this day of narrow, in this day of tolerance and inclusive. I understand that we need to be more open-minded. But I'm afraid sometimes when Scripture is open-minded, I'm open-minded, but when Scripture is very narrow, I need to be very narrow. And the way I see it and the way I read it and the way I understand it after years of studying and reading and understanding is that there's only one way to God. 
is through Jesus Christ. Only one way. Cheryl Crow said it like this in her own mixed up way. She says, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus, and Buddha, and Muhammad, and all those who are enlightened, who were enlightened. I wouldn't say necessarily that I'm a Christian. I'm not sure I believe in heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Listen, I would love to be real open-minded and say that if you'll pray five times a day, if you'll give to the poor, if you'll travel to Mecca, if you will do all that the Muslims do, and you'll even go through a holy jihad, that you will have a guaranteed spot in paradise. But I can't do that. Because my holy book tells me that there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. The problem is, is that many people will follow the way of Muhammad. But if you read the very words of Muhammad from his holy, holy book, he himself says, I don't know where I'm going when I die. From the Quran, from Shura chapter 46, verse 9, it says, Muhammad said it like this, I am not a new thing among messengers of Allah. That is, I'm not the first messenger out here, okay? I'm not the first prophet. Nor do I know what will be done with me or with you. Muhammad didn't even know where he was going when he died. He didn't know what his future beheld. Why would you follow Jesus? Because Jesus knows where heaven is. Jesus knows where God the Father is. Jesus knows how you can have peace and eternal life. Muhammad does not. Who would you want to follow? Someone who knows where they're going or somebody who doesn't know where they're going? Okay, that doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out. Who would you rather follow? Somebody who can fix any problem that's out there? Who can raise dead people to life again? Or somebody who doesn't have a clue what that looks like? Who would you rather follow? Somebody who is kind of messed up in life and trying to figure life out? Or somebody who's holy and set apart? I want to follow the one who's holy. The one who's all-powerful. The one who knows his way to God. Because I want to connect with him. 1915... Presbyterian missionary by the name of Samuel Zwimmer. He even founded the Zwimmer Institute, which is a major institute that has organized people uh, to, uh, to be on mission to Muslims. He was a missionary to the Muslims for 25 years. Gathered in Keswick Convention in England in 1915 and called for the first time that we know of in history, called Christians to pray for Muslims. He called them to pray, and this is something of his challenge. He said, Oh God, this is the prayer that he challenged them to pray. Oh God, to whom Muslims, uh, the Muslim world bows its homage five times a day, look in mercy upon its people and reveal to them thy Christ. That was his prayer. And the thing is, is that, 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 that prayer, that challenge, set off a trickle effect that moved out into other countries and people to this day, the Swimmer Institute is now the Center for, Global, uh, or for World Missions in Pasadena, California. To this day, there are people praying, God, the, the God who the Muslims pray to five times a day, would you show Jesus to them? You may walk out of this room today and say, that was the most irrelevant message in my life. I don't know a Muslim. I don't care to know a Muslim. I never intend to travel to an Islamic nation. And that may be fine. But what I would want to do today is raise the awareness. Instead of just watching and seeing Muslims as some enemy out there, let's see them as people whom Jesus loves and whom Jesus came and died for. 
Instead of fearing their call to prayer, let it be our call to pray. How can they pray five times a day and that's not even pray at all? How can that be? And yet we call ourselves followers of Jesus. How can that be? You realize that there are, there's one Christian missionary to every one million Muslims. One Christian missionary to one million Muslims. Maybe we should pray today, not only that many Muslims will know who Jesus is, but maybe we should pray today that from our very congregation, we might have people go and reach out to the Muslims. You say, what does that mean? I don't really get, get my, the idea around that. Think about it like this. There are more missionaries working in Alaska among 400,000 people than there are total missionaries working among Muslim people. See, I don't know who to pray for. Let me show you a picture of some people. This is a picture of our four translators that we had this past uh, trip. You got Jib on the left. He was quite the character. He earned the name Dabaraba, which is actually uh, Bambra for Big Mouth. All right? He liked to talk. He liked to translate. And, uh, he, but he, he was, he's a fun guy. Next one is Suad. Suad is, um, is a Malian, but she also lived in America a number of years. And she loves McDonald's and loves Walmart. All right? And uh, she likes whenever we bring over American stuff because she wants to enjoy American stuff. She's also a Muslim. Her husband's here in the States. I really believe Suad is this close to becoming a believer. In fact, she told one of our teams that she'd become a believer, but her husband, who's a very strict Muslim, won't let her. Just forgot the... Uh, what was her name? Kumba. Kumba is the second. Is a quiet lady there. She's right in the middle there. Kumba was a person that I really never really got to know other than we had one encounter where I shared my faith and she shared her faith with me. But Kumba was a person who, who was quiet. Her dad had already made the pilgrimage to Mecca. She was very, uh, very much following in the line. If you are born into a Muslim family, you are automatically a Muslim. All right? So that's just the way it is. If you're born into a Christian family, you're not automatically a Christian, okay? If you're thinking that, then we need to talk, all right? You have to make that personal decision. You have to cross that line yourself. Makumba, she has, she has, and I talked with her, she said, I am still studying Christianity. I'm still studying Islam. She is a person who goes in and prays, but we need to pray for her. Adama, the man the far on the far right, probably one of the most educated Africans, one of the most, the brightest Africans I've ever met. Uh, Adama, we would, we would share a story about Christ, and I really believe in all, with all my heart he was under conviction. Because there were many times that he would, he would finish translating for us, and then he would say, I need to go pray. And he would ask for permission to go pray. He would go into our little mud hut, our little Hilton in, the, in, in Kamabugu, and he would roll out his mat just like these people did, and he would bow down and he would pray. But I believe Adama was a person who was longing for a connection with God. He was hearing and translating through us the word of truth. And he was trying to figure it all out. Pray for these people. Pray for the many Muslims in this world and the growing number of Muslims. It's estimated that if the Islam continues to grow at the current rate that it's growing, that we will have 1.3 in three people in the world will be Muslims by the year 2025. 
praise team, would you come back up here? I want us to sing a prayer today. I want you to have a spirit of prayer about you. I want you to think about your life. And I want this to be a prayer that you will pray to God. As we sing together, I want you to be thinking about Bakumba. I want you to be thinking about these other people that I just mentioned. I want you to be thinking about somebody you work with. And I want you to pray that, God, would you show yourself holy? Would you show yourself all-powerful? Would you show yourself as the way to God? And you know what? 25% of the Muslims who are coming to faith in Christ are saying they have seen and experienced a vision on or before their salvation. I don't know what you believe about visions and all that kind of stuff, but I think what, what God is having to come in and rattle these people's cages. Would you pray that God would show up in these people's lives? I want to pray now. The ushers will come at this time, and as we sing, we'll take up our offering. Father God, we bow before you, and we thank you for truth in Jesus. Lord, would you speak boldly to us today? May the, the feeling of being uncomfortable stir us, move us beyond where we are, Lord, to where you want us to be.